0: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150.
1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Do you feel like the chargers are cooked? Are they done? Yeah, I feel like they're done. Do You think the Chargers are are a good team? No. Chargers don't matter that much. The Chargers are one and two and they look just terrible. From a Chargers standpoint, this is bad news right now. I'm sick and tired of talking about this team and they never do anything. So do something. I can't imagine the Chargers winning this one. I've got no faith in them at this point. I don't think they could beat anyone.
0: Injuries have already stopped and sunk the Chargers season. It's over. (laughs) Big facts. They don't play a lot of defense. Unwatchable. Will the charges fall?
1: Yes. The charges is overrated. I'm not impressed. Totally agree. Absolutely brutal. They're no big thing. They're not good. It's just what they are. They're major disappointment. Startlingly average. A social media quarterback. Boring to watch. It is time to panic. They're at the drive. Dude, you're screwed. That that really was well done by the Chargers, and both Sims and I made an appearance in that. I still have a conceptual and philosophical problem with teams complaining about the fact that when they were bad, those of us who are paid to generate and articulate opinions would happen to notice they're bad, because it's not like the Chargers were (laughs) wire-to-wire great this year. They went through stretches when they sucked, and how dare we point out the fact that they at times weren't good. Whatever clip they used for me, it was from a weekend when I just didn't believe in them anymore. I say that the Chargers are always my perennial Roseanne, Rosanna Dana team. Uh, Peter, I think that's a reference that you would get because we come from that same group in the 70s that enjoyed Saturday Night Live with Gilda Radner. It's always something with the Chargers. And they've pulled it together, and they've squeaked in as the five-seed. It's great. It's not even a squeak. They're the five-seed, but they, they weren't great wire to wire congratulations on getting there but it was a rocky ride to say the least for the chargers peter well you know when i saw that
0: i got a kick out of it because to me your social media team is kind of uh writing a check now that they're telling the team you better cash it (laughs) you know because they're saying how dare you question our great team And, and mike look there's a reason that the Chargers were questioned. And it goes beyond losing 38 to 10 to the Jacksonville Jaguars in week 3 when the Jaguars were not the Jaguars yet, okay? It goes to the fact that the Los Angeles Chargers won 10 games this year. The best record of any of those 10 teams is 9 and 8. And, and, and so, look, is it okay if we wait to see this team that, that really has not had what I would call a signature win this year? Is it okay to wait and to say, and look, you're talking to a guy who picked them number two entering the season. I thought the Chargers were going to make a huge jump from nine and eight this year to winning the division in essence you know back in may when i picked my 1 to 32 but look the, the the chargers are a good team right but but we'll see how far they can go and and especially we'll see this week because we don't know if mike williams is going to play the proverbial game time decision and this is the player with all due respect to austin eckler and keenan allen to me when i watch the chargers play If Mike Williams is healthy and productive, they play with anybody in football. And if he's not, then they're in a little bit of trouble.
1: And Peter, his injury, the product of the ultimate unforced error by a coach, to have these guys in a game that was meaningless, they weren't going to go up or down, they knew they were locked in at number 5, so they decide to play their starters for. A lot of the game, deep into the second half, Keenan Allen was catching touchdown passes from Chase Daniel. Why is he still out there And Keenan Allen? And I don't accept Brandon Staley's explanation. We only got 48 guys. We've got to put those guys out there. There's a way to empty the bench and keep your most important players in bubble wrap, and he didn't do it with Mike Williams. Williams didn't practice at all this week. I think making him questionable is face-saving. I think, and this, I don't know this, my gut tells me he's not playing. But they called him questionable just so Brandon Staley doesn't get dragged for the next two days over playing him on Sunday and causing that back injury by having him out on the field. But again, it's always something. And you're right, Peter, that is one hell of a check for the excellent social media team to write when they go on the road to play a team that beat them in their own building 38 to 10 Back in week three and I know it was a long time ago but it was still 38 to 10 it's the same basic roster on both sides of the ball and it wasn't a fluke it wasn't a 61 yard field goal as the as the gun went off it was 38 to 10 all right and that's the game that we have on NBC on Saturday night the Chargers are still two and a half point favorites in this one Maybe the bookies saw that hype video and decided that they were making a good point. I don't get it. If I'm Doug Peterson, I got my guys extra lathered up. We went out there and we kicked the you-know-what out of this team, 38-10. to They're coming to our place and we're underdogs. That's exactly, that's manna from heaven for a head coach who's trying to get his guys even more fired up than they otherwise would be.
0: You know, I I am not a gambler, uh, and so I can't tell you what motivates lines to be certain ways but there have been a few this year that have really made me uh be a little surprised uh this is certainly one of them and and again i think that it has to do with the fact that you know this this t- this game showcases two excellent quarterbacks excellent and they're both playing very, very well right now, and and you know, Mike, who knows? But all I can say is Jacksonville playing at home with a hot team. I I I, I like Jacksonville in this game. I and again, I, I don't have anything other than an absolute gut feeling. I would not put five cents down on this game or any other game in the NFL, but. I think right now Jacksonville can do more. And Mike, I, I, I want to just say one other thing. While the uh, while the Chargers have been dealing a lot this year with injuries, especially to their defense, if you look at what's happened to the Jacksonville defense, you watched last week where Trayvon Walker, who I widely derided as the first pick in this draft, a guy who in the two years that he played almost all the time at Georgia never made first or second team All-SEC, never mind first or second team All-America, and he got picked first in the draft, Trayvon Walker is sticking it up my rear end right now because he was great last week. Josh Allen was great last week on the other side. That is a tough defensive front. Look at Rory Robertson Harris how good he's been. I don't know. To me, I look at the Jaguars. I I really I just like the Jaguars a lot in this game.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. I am surprised they're underdogs and I think it plays into their hands and that quarterback matchup fascinates me too, Peter, because you've got the two best by far in the NFL in Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. You've got Joe Burrow just a little bit under them and always threatening to catch them. But between Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence, I feel like whoever wins this game starts to build the case to get toward the same cut as Joe Burrow. Not that they would catch Burrow, but we just kind of thought Justin Herbert was that guy. And is it him? Is it the team? Is it the coaching? What is it? But this is an opportunity for whoever wins to kind of push himself up toward the top of the stack, not just among young quarterbacks, but among the entire NFL. One last point on this game, too, Peter. And I I got a lot of respect for what Brandon Staley has done as a head coach, but there's just been enough this year. And I don't know if you've heard the same things I've heard, but I get the sense that, you know, there's some available coaches out there that would very much like that job to come open. And it's not as if those coaches are going to be the ones to stick the knife in Brandon Staley's back. They have people to do that for them who communicate directly with the Chargers. I just wonder if the Chargers flame out and if there's this rash of go for it on fourth down and it blows up in their face or some other coaching decision gone bad, kind of like the Mike McCarthy analysis. If the loss of this game traces right back to Brandon Staley, I just wonder what happens next week. I'm not saying anything could or should or would I just know from what I'm hearing out there, from some of these A-list coaches that are available, and you don't hear it from them, you hear it kind of percolate, I just just wonder if the organization would say, we got this great young quarterback, we got to do more with him. Maybe, but
0: I think a lot of that, Mike, this year anyway, uh, has come down to the availability or lack thereof of Mike Williams and Keenan Allen and i think i think they've done very well on offense given their limitations you know i think if you score in the mid 20s and i think they've averaged 24 25 points a game this year especially with the injuries they've had and being able to use austin eckler you know mike we all had to fill out our all pro teams this year and there have been a few, there were a few things that I'm sure when I put him in my column on Monday that, uh, that people are going to say, what in the world are you talking about? But I'll give you one example. Austin Eckler is my second team running back. Obviously, Josh Jacobs was number one. But I put Austin Eckler ahead of Nick Chubb, you know, ahead of Derrick Henry, ahead of Joe Mixon. And one of the reasons I did that, I think it's easy to look at, well, you know, he didn't rush for 1,000 yards. But I think if you look at what Austin Eckler did on all of his touches, you know, Austin Eckler with 107 catches this year. You know, and when you are approaching 1,700 yards of total offense, you're basically giving your team 100 yards a game. And you're doing it when everybody on defense knows you're coming. So to me, I think I think Austin Eckler has been a huge piece that the Chargers have really used well this year, maybe overused to some degree. He's going to need a nice long vacation whenever this season ends. But I, and again, I would be surprised about Staley like probably really surprised. And Mike, one other thing about let's compare the Cowboys and the Chargers. Jerry Jones, to me, basically would have a blank check to go after whoever he wants. You know, and obviously we all think he would want Sean Payton. I'm not sure the Chargers have the same blank check mentality about a coach. And whereas there are probably some teams out there this offseason, you know, like, for instance, Carolina with David Tepper's money, Denver with the Walton family money, where they're gonna be able to pay a coach whatever they wanna pay him 18 million, 20 million. You know, and last, last week I heard there are five coaches in the 15 million and above range average per year. So that means that to me, if you're Sean Payton, that's where your price tag is about gonna start. And so I, I wonder, and I don't know this, and I'm sure if they wanted them bad enough, they'd do whatever it took. But I wonder if the Chargers are going to have the same largesse as, say, uh, the Waltons or uh, David Tepper in Carolina.
1: Chargers-Jaguars, again, our game on Saturday night. Arguably the best AFC game of the weekend. The smallest line because the other two are kind of trending in the wrong way for the road team. Let's go to Sunday, the first game of the day. Dolphins at the Bills. The Bills are 13 point favorites. According to ESPN stats and information, that would be the largest line ever for wild card weekend. The previous record is 12. And this isn't a surprise. No Tuatonga Vailoa, likely no Teddy Bridgewater. They're getting Skylar Thompson ready to go, the rookie versus Josh Allen. You know, sometimes a game requires careful and prudent and thoughtful and detailed analysis. Sometimes, Peter, all you have to say is is Skylar Thompson versus Josh Allen.
0: Well, I I would say something that I think is not quite as important, obviously, but really quite important in a game like this where you want to play keep away from Josh Allen in this game. It looks like, and again, you never know, but it looks like there will be no Raheem Mostert in this game. And, and Mike, for those who would say, ah, you know, running backs are interchangeable and they'll be okay without Mostert and all that. I mean, 4.9 yards a carry this year. And I think just mentally, the Miami offense would feel like we can play with this team on defense. Okay? But we need to have A couple of elements on offense that really are going to help us, you know, try to play on the same level with the Buffalo Bills. That really starts with Raheem Mostert. I don't want to be giving the ball uh, to lesser backs in this game, in a game they desperately need it. Um, And and again, look, if Mostert doesn't play, I,
1: I frankly don't see how Miami can win this game. And it will be seven years since one of the most memorable wildcard weekend pregame moments when Bud Grant in short sleeves with no jacket walked out to midfield on that freezing cold day when the Vikings were wrapping up their temporary run of playing outdoors while the new stadium was built. I mention that because we could have an even better introduction on Sunday if Damar Hamlin is at that game and he's in Buffalo, he's out of the hospital. They've been very tight-lipped about whether or not he'd be at the game, but, man, that would be something. That would be a tone-setter for the Bills. Not that they need it, because right now, without Tua, with with Tua, i, I got to give Tua his credit. i got to give him his praise. They beat the Bills back in Week 3, and they gave them a hell of a run in Buffalo on that Saturday night a few weeks ago. So, with Tua... I'd feel very differently about this game without him, though. Man, 13 seems not big enough. All right, our game Sunday night, Peter. Baltimore Ravens at the Cincinnati Bengals, the rematch of the game last week. It was Anthony Brown Jr. at quarterback because both Lamar Jackson and Tyler Huntley were unavailable. No Lamar Jackson this time around. Tyler Huntley, with that shoulder injury, was throwing on Thursday. I get the feeling he's probably going to play. Is that going to be enough? When you got Joe Burrow... The baby faced killer slipping into playoff mode. Where I, I loved his comments earlier <laughs> he, this he's, week. He's, you just have to have an yeah. arrogance about you. I mean, really, you, 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 but he shows up in these big games yeah. and he does not flinch. He doesn't blink. He tears your heart out and he's ready to go back into that postseason mode that we saw last year when they beat the Raiders. Not convincingly, but they beat them. Then went to Tennessee and beat the Titans, who were the one seed. And then went to Kansas City and were down twenty-one to three, and came back and stole a Super Bowl appearance from Patrick Mahomes. Amazing, and possible again.
0: Well, I'll I'll just I'm going to read you a, a little stat line, Mike. Okay, since Lamar Jackson went out of the lineup, here are the passing yards for the Ravens in each one of their games: ninety-four. 126, 115, 120, and 276. Now, keep in mind, the 276, a lot of that was garbage time. uh, And, you know, I don't take that all that seriously, honestly. But but what has happened is that the Ravens really have been unable to be whoever the quarterback is after Lamar Jackson. They've been unable to, when, when rushed significantly, they've been unable to, to do positive things in the passing game with any consistency. That's why it's very hard for me to fathom that the Bengals would lose this game.
1: Yeah, and the spread is up to nine and a half, nine and a half for the Bengals hosting the Ravens on Sunday Night Football on NBC. Let's go ahead and, well, before we, before we take a break, there is one question. With Alex Kappa out, and Shereen made the point yesterday that the replacement for Kappa becomes a very key player this weekend. Do you have concerns about Burrow being protected against that Ravens defense when – and Lyle Collins is long gone. He was lost for the year a few weeks back. That's the right side of the line that's going to be a question mark. Does that does that give you any concern? Uh, maybe, maybe not this week, but maybe in future weeks.
0: I mean, it gives me concern, period, because last year in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl, it was the interior rush – that killed the Bengals. And 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 this year, they've done, and I documented this in my column uh, last or a couple of weeks ago. This year, they've done a fantastic job since about mid-season, especially, you know, the guy who is really keying that is Ted Karras, the center. But I think I look at it, Mike, and I basically say that I think what has happened is that... Joe Burrow has learned to play when his protection is not great. One thing I would say is, I think one of the things that the Ravens love about Roquan Smith is that when you have Roquan Smith on your defense, you have the ability to have the kind of internal rush that a lot of teams really are not able to generate from their uh, you know from their defense. And the other thing, when I look at the Ravens, the one thing that I have thought about and and really, I think they probably knew this in the coming into the draft when other people really didn't know it. The David Ajabo, you know, their second round pick from Michigan was going to be able to give him something late in the year. And so I look at this, and look, Calais Campbell, very trusted veteran, um, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul and 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 Roquan Smith, they've got Justin Houston. They have the ability to make it tough for Joe Burrow. And to me, Mike, their biggest chance, biggest chance is forcing two or three turnovers With that pressure, they weren't able to do it last weekend. I doubt the exclusion of Alex Kappa is going to allow them to do it this year, but they do have multiple pieces that would concern me uh, if I were Brian Callahan, the Bengals offensive coordinator, and if I were Zach Taylor.
1: And by the way, if the two favorites win in the AFC games we've just discussed, Dolphins, Bills, and Ravens, Bengals, it will be Bengals at Bills in the divisional round. So they will pick up where they left off, sort of, on a different field and from the start of the game coming up next weekend, if that holds. We're going to take a break. When we return, we'll look at the NFC games for Super Wildcard Weekend. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this.
0: Mike, you may have thought
1: you won this week with rigmarole. Yeah, I was texting with somebody last night, an executive with one of the teams involved in this rigmarole. I, I got the SAT word today, Peter. rigamarole. And then coming in on the outside with Finagle. They still are in position to finagle with a win on Sunday, a possible home game in the playoffs. I'm going to see
0: your rigmarole. And see your finagle, and I'm going to raise you a super incumbent. Okay, super Uh incumbent—something that sort of hangs over the
1: festivities. (laughs) (laughs) We've yet to get a familiar word of the day from Peter King, but we still have another 45 minutes. Also, also got Evie credit. You had potentate last week. People were impressed with potentate. I heard from folks who who uh, want to hear potentate again and again and again. Okay. Uh, maybe it'll come up. Maybe maybe the vocabulary word of the day is lurking, potentate or otherwise, in the coming discussion of you the, never the know. NFC games. Let's start with the first game of the weekend. Seahawks at the 49ers. The weather forecast not favorable. Wind and rain and the kind of thing that can maybe equalize a talent gap. The other thing that equalizes a talent gap, Peter, in my opinion, two division teams getting together for the third time. Not that the prior two games have irrelevance. The point that I always make is when you're in the playoffs, you don't want a team that knows you better than anyone showing up, especially in one of these everything to lose, nothing to gain, games you're supposed to win, nine-and-a-half-point favorites of the 49ers. I... I'd give the Seahawks a one-in-five chance of winning this game. And if I had five cards in front of me and the winner was one of them, I wouldn't feel all that pessimistic about getting lucky. I think the Seahawks could get lucky with this one. I'm not going to pick them to win, but I won't be surprised if they keep it close, and I won't be surprised if they get lucky. Look, the way that
0: I look at this game is Pete Carroll, a Pete Carroll coach team, is always going to give his players a puncher's chance. And there's two reasons why, in my in my opinion. Pete Carroll is the most relentlessly, outrageously positive person uh, as a head coach who currently works in the NFL. And he will have his team. Okay, so it's now 5.16 a.m. Pacific time all right, as, we, as I speak. And right now, Pete Carroll is sitting in his office in Renton, Washington, and he is putting the finishing touches on his pregame talk to his team and or what he's going to say to them today before they get on the airplane and fly down to San Jose, um, you know, to play that game tomorrow. But he's going to figure a way And Shane Waldron, his offensive coordinator, is going to show and has shown them, I'm sure. Hey, look at Jared Stidham. He sliced, diced, and almost ruined this team's winning streak. And probably should have before he threw an interception when Nick Bosa pushed Colton Miller back into Stidham. And, and look, I, I'm just saying, I don't think they're going to win either. But the combination of Pete Carroll being Dale Carnegie in the power of positive thinking and the fact that Shane Waldron, Geno Smith, they have figured out ways to do stuff this year. And Mike, I think this, that, that they need, Seattle needs DK Metcalf to have a, you know, Six-catch, 155-yard, one-touchdown game. It needs Tyler Lockett to be eight for 96 with a touchdown. They need their receivers to be big in this game. And I understand the weather's going to be awful. 100% chance of rain. But I still think Seattle has to press this defense
1: down the field. And look, the other reality, Brock Purdy. Five starts in most of a sixth game. How's he going to hold up in the elements? Kyle Shanahan told reporters yesterday that they had an outdoor practice in the rain on Wednesday, and Purdy did well. If If the Seahawks can neutralize the run game and it falls onto Brock Purdy, the weather, the circumstances, the pressure, everything, that great. This is the thing that even though when you get to the playoffs, the regular season goes out the window and you accept your spot one through seven, on the playoff tree for the teams that had great regular seasons. And this typically applies to the one seed, but I think it also has relevance to the two seed this year because the 49ers were spectacular to feel like that could all go up in smoke in three hours on a Saturday afternoon in the rain. And you get caught flat footed and you're down and you're fighting and oh my gosh, our great season is flashing before our eyes against a division rival. There's just a lot of things that could go wrong. I still don't think it will, but I won't be surprised if it does. And I think that nine-and-a-half-point spread is too big for my liking. I think the Seahawks will find a way to keep it interesting. One game that was very interesting, Christmas Eve, a whiteout at U.S. Bank Stadium, a back-and-forth affair. The Vikings were up 10 early. The Giants were ahead in the fourth quarter. Great catch in the end zone by T.J. Hawkinson to give the Vikings the lead, and then they blew it. They were up 8, and the Giants scored a great run by Saquon Barkley. Two-point conversion And a 61-yard field goal from Greg Joseph was the difference after an excellent catch-and-run by Justin Jefferson with a screen pass that even put them in position to avoid overtime. 27-24 was the final. And, Peter, this is Kirk Cousins, I don't want to say opportunity, I want to say mandate. Home game, first home game in the postseason for him as a member of the Vikings. Second trip to the playoffs in five years with the team. This, regardless of what happens next week, they could go to – Levi's Stadium and get beat by 30, which is probably in the offing for the Vikings. But they still need to win this one. And Kirk Cousins needs to step up and show he can get it done and win a playoff game at home against a team they've already beaten just within the past few weeks.
0: No question about it. This is a mandate. Uh, for Kirk Cousins to win this game. It's not an option for him to win this game. He has to win it. Um, Let me say one thing about the Giants. You know, I think, you know, and I voted for Brian Dayball this week as my coach of the year. And one of the reasons why I really like what he has done this year is that he has prepared for games the way Bill Belichick always did. In, in in one way, with his game plan. Every game plan is a snowflake. You don't know what he's going to do. I have no idea what Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka have cooked up for this week. But I will just make a friendly wager that Daniel Jones will have more than four carries and Daniel Jones will have more than 34 yards rushing in this game. To me... And I'm not wow. I don't know why that was the number in the first game and why there weren't more design runs for Daniel Jones. I'm sure there's a reason. I'm not questioning or saying, boy, what a dumb game plan it was. It wasn't. They almost beat the Vikings. But this time, I think that Daniel Jones, if I were if I were a Giants fan and I'm watching this game, you know what I'd say? Give me seven designed runs for Daniel Jones in U.S. Bank Stadium Sunday afternoon. That's what I would want because that, to me, is the recipe for success against a defense that hasn't always been great, particularly against quarterbacks who run.
1: You make a great point, too, Peter, because this is the first playoff game for Daniel Jones, so we've never seen this in the past. One thing I noticed with the Bills and Josh Allen... He ran a lot as a rookie. His second season, they reeled it in. And then the playoffs came along. They had that game down in Houston where they were up and ended up blowing it. But in that game, they unleashed Josh Allen as a runner. And you you have to worry about keeping your quarterback healthy between September and week 18. So you don't want to have him out there run, 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 run all the time. But when you get to single elimination time and you've got a skill set that is conducive to pulling down the ball and running it, whether it's scrambling or designed runs, that's your opportunity to lean into what your guy does best and throw caution to the wind. I think you're onto something, and the Vikings better be ready for it because it's part of his skill set. We're not worried about him getting injured. I mean, yeah, you don't want to put the guy in a bad spot, but we're not as obsessed as we'd ordinarily be about not having him for a few weeks. This is it. The season's on the line, and if we want to make a difference in a game that we could have won without Daniel Jones running the ball more than four times, this is the time to do it. I think that's an excellent, excellent point. And, and look, I think there's a quiet confidence. A lot of people think the Giants are going to win this game straight up. And, you know, when the Giants tied the game up the last time I saw Saquon Barkley on the sidelines, and I thought, boy, if this guy gets the ball in overtime, he's just going to take it to the house from wherever he gets it. If he's got that same mindset going into this game and he's in a contract year, he's trying to make a case to other teams in the event the Giants don't re-sign him, everybody else is home watching, this is a great chance for him to come out and have a big game. I, I will not be surprised if the Giants win this game. My, my standard approach for the Vikings the entire postseason is they will win by two or four points, two to four points, or they'll lose by twenty to forty points. There's not going to be any in between, and I could see the Giants <laughs> not quite doing not quite doing what they did in the 2000 <laughs> NFC Championship game. The last time these two teams played in the postseason, the Giants won forty-one to nothing. But I could see the Giants winning this game. In a fairly convincing fashion. And it's it's one of the most, and look, it's a three-point spread. The the odds makers see it. It's a game that could go either way, and it should be a fun one to watch. Um, All right, the last one for the weekend. We talked about it a little bit earlier. The Cowboys as the five-seed face the Buccaneers as the four-seed. Cowboys are two-and-a-half-point favorites. I don't quite get it. Jason Garrett, the former coach of the Cowboys, has been making the point that the Cowboys are a different team on grass than they are on artificial turf. They go to Tampa Bay, a place where they lost week one to start 2021. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers went to Dallas and won 19-3 to start this season. I still don't know why the Cowboys are favored, Peter. Can you help me understand it? Oh, I think it's because everybody
0: sort of, and I'm sure – Gamblers get seduced by the Cowboys and a lot of people are betting with their heart at this time of year versus betting with their heads. And, you know, obviously we've seen it with Dallas this year, Mike. Dallas has had some incredible days this year when everything is going right for them. I guess my biggest point about the Cowboys right now is, and my biggest question is, For the last three weeks, Tony Pollard has been hampered. He's missed one game uh, due to injury, and he's rushed for a total of 38 yards in the other two games. Look, this team is not the same team when Tony Pollard is either in mothballs or not well. And they need Tony Pollard to be right Monday night. I think just my feeling... Everybody's talking about Dak and the interceptions, and rightfully so. But my feeling is that the Cowboys' MIP in this game, most important player, is Tony Pollard. What kind of condition is he going to be in? Uh, Is he going to be able to play and or play effectively? That would really concern me if I were Dallas coming
1: into this game. For half of the playoff field this year, seven of the quarterbacks... It's their first career postseason start for Tom Brady. It's postseason start number forty-eight. There's no replacement for that experience. There's no way to duplicate it. He morphs into a different guy when the game's on the line. I think we're going to see that guy on Monday night, and I think the Buccaneers are going to win the game. And we're going to have some interesting questions about the Cowboys in the aftermath, however it plays out. Let's take a break. When we return. The Patriots, with a coaching announcement on Thursday night that raises plenty of questions, we'll delve into that when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
0: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh,
1: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, here's what the New England Patriots announced on Thursday night. The New England Patriots and head coach Bill Belichick have begun contract extension discussions with Gerard Mayo that would keep him with the team long-term. In addition... The team will begin interviewing for offensive coordinator candidates starting next week. They didn't have an offensive coordinator this year officially. Unofficially, it was Matt Patricia, longtime defensive coordinator and two plus year head coach of the Detroit Lions. Bill O'Brien's name has been rocketing around the rumor mill for weeks now, Peter. So, and look, they have to go through a process. The Rooney Rule has application to coordinator jobs now, too. They can't just wave a magic wand and bring in Bill O'Brien, but they're making it clear that they now have embarked on this process of officially searching for a new offensive coordinator, which should be viewed as good news for any Patriots fan out there that spent the year wondering what the hell this team is doing offensively. You know, Mike, I think
0: for the last 22 years, we've all thought, I'd say since, you know, they had the great success in, uh, in 2001, we've all thought that Bill Belichick existed as basically a monocrat, you know, a guy who, uh, is, you know, who rules as a singular person. Okay. And I think this week that any thought that Bill Belichick rules that franchise alone, uh, you know, was basically corrected because this week, obviously, Robert Kraft got involved, started talking to him. And I have a question for you. Do you think two years ago we would have seen a press release uh, on January January 12, 2021, or 2020, let's say, with a release saying, you know, we are negotiating a contract with one of our defensive coaches. Do you think they would have issued that press release? And do you think they also would have issued a press release that said inside of it, we're looking for a def- for an offensive coordinator? No. And that's because the monocrat is not the monocrat. You know, he is sharing ruling of this franchise. He always has... But it hasn't seemed that way. And now we know for sure after that release last night, we know how it works inside the Patriots.
1: And how about this point too? someone I was talking to yesterday who likes to make the argument accurately that the game is still fundamentally about the quality of the players and coaches can make a difference but the players are the ultimate difference makers because they're the ones on the field. MDS, Michael David Smith, made this point earlier in the week. With Tom Brady as his quarterback, 18 seasons, Belichick was 219-64 and and made the playoffs 17 times. Bill Belichick has now worked as an NFL head coach for 10 years without Tom Brady as his quarterback, five in Cleveland and five in New England, when Brady was either not the starter or was out for the whole year after he tore his ACL. Twice out of 10 years, Belichick has made the playoffs without Tom Brady, and his record without Tom Brady is 79 and 87. From 219 and 64 to 79 and 87 without Tom Brady. Remember, there was that big question three years ago who's going to thrive without the other? Was it Brady, was it Belichick? Those numbers don't lie, Peter. Well there's one
0: other number that I would give you Mike. In the last 3 years of Tom Brady in New England, <clears throat> the Patriots were 41 and 14 and went to 2 Super Bowls. In the first 3 years post Brady, the Patriots are 25 and 26 and have
1: not won a playoff game. Wow. Ergo, and the one playoff game they were in was a <laughs> 47 to 17 Destruction of the Patriots last year by the Bills, Um, and and hey, to to Bill Belichick's credit, because I thought that you know it's one thing for him to say I'll be back next year, but if he's getting some pressure internally to make changes that maybe he doesn't want to make, that could create some friction that could cause it all to fall apart. He seems to recognize. I mean, he's a smart guy. Hell, why wouldn't he want to make it the sport in any capacity? Yeah, exactly. You've you've got got to do something. So,
0: yeah. And, and, and Mike, Mike, I, I, I mean, this is what I say to people. I doubt, I doubt that Bill Belichick, driving home from the facility in Foxborough last night, I doubt he banged the steer wheel steering wheel and said, bleepity bleep this franchise or I hate craft or whatever. He knows, he knows that Mac Jones has regressed you know, he he knows that their offense is terrible. He knows that they have to have a fix, whether it be an external fix almost certainly. Um I, you know, look, he's he he is stubborn, but he's not stupid.
1: One point that is confusing to me. And and I understand how the coaching lists get made and You've got the rising coordinators who have never done it before, and they're just presumed they're going to walk in and be great, and then you have Nathaniel Hackett, and it's like the owners don't learn those lessons. But Bill O'Brien was not a bad coach with the Texans, and look at what the Texans have been since they fired him. Isn't it odd that we only hear right. his name as a potential offensive coordinator and not as a head coach?
0: I think it's, it's a little odd, but... I do think that there was a lot of stuff at the end in Houston that painted Bill O'Brien in a bad light. To me, most of it unjustifiable. Uh, But I do think that the way that ended... and, and, And Mike, I think the one other thing is if you've got a franchise quarterback... You've got to find a way. You've got to learn how to get along with your franchise quarterback. And at the end, that was not a good relationship between him and Deshaun Watson. Now, I'm not blaming Bill O'Brien. All I'm saying is that when you have a great quarterback, uh, you've got to find a way to have build a bridge toward him. And I don't think the Texans did that at the end. And again, I am not blaming O'Brien. I am simply saying that You've got to find a way to do that. So I guess I am blaming him, but I'm not saying that he didn't have reason to have this gulf between him and Watson, but you can't have that gulf. You got to figure
1: out a way to bridge it. Right, but but maybe he learned a valuable lesson from that. He otherwise got the job done. It just fascinates me that there are coaches out there who have proven they can win and their names don't come up. And then there are coordinators who have never been head coaches before. And it's a fundamentally different job. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't, case in point Nathaniel Hackett. It's just amazing to me that – and I'd love to know what drives this for the owners, which coaches who previously worked as NFL head coaches get second chances and which ones don't. It's just a fascinating wrinkle to a fascinating business. When we return – The NFL has selected a neutral site for an eventual AFC championship game between the Chiefs and the Bills. What does it possibly say about the NFL's plans for future conference championship games? We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. So there is a neutral site in the event that it's the Chiefs and the Bills getting together for Super Bowl, not for Super Bowl, but it feels like it. It's for the AFC Championship, the selection, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the site of Super Bowl 53 in Atlanta, Georgia. Peter, I was hoping for an outdoor venue in the Elements because if it had been Chiefs at Bills, we're outdoors in January. If it's Bills at Chiefs, we're outdoors in January. Now we're indoors in Atlanta, and it'll be great if you're looking for a pinball score between the Chiefs and the Bills 45 42, 51 48. More likely to get it there than you are outdoors if weather is a factor. But I don't know. This just feels unsatisfying to me that a game that otherwise definitely would have been played outdoors in late January is going to be played in kind of a sanitized environment now. My first thought was man.
0: In Atlanta right now are the Atlanta Falcons and the, and Georgia Tech, and so the great football games in a very recent vintage played at Mercedes Benz Stadium are always basically bowl games or neutral site games. I mean, you know, they've got to import great games because they can't play them locally. I mean, it's just, it's a weird, weird thing. And, and Mike, you know, originally, I thought the best place to put this was Cincinnati. Sort of as a gesture of basically thanks for being good sports. But the more I thought about it, the more I would have would have thought, if the Bengals end up playing at Buffalo and losing at Buffalo, the last thing on God's green earth, that they're going to want to see in Cincinnati is the Buffalo Bills and Kansas City Chiefs. Uh two teams that you know they beat one of them on the road and they were ahead of one of them uh in in the other game they played this year. The last thing they're going to want to see. It was all it would have been almost impossible to put the game in Cincinnati this year.
1: And Peter, this is a point I was going to make earlier when we were talking about the very strong likelihood that it's going to be Bengals at Bills next week. In all this effort that we saw last week for the NFL to drop the grains of rice on the scales of justice to balance out the potential inequities of the cancellation of the Bills at Bengals game, you had the allowance for the neutral site AFC championship. You had the goofy Backward ass coin flip decision that still makes no sense to me a week later. That if the Ravens had beaten the Bengals, the Bengals win the division, but we're going to flip a coin to decide where the game would be played if it's Bengals and Ravens crossing paths in the wild card round. Why was there no allowance for a coin flip or a neutral site? For a Bengals at Bills divisional round game, how did that get lost in the cracks here? Because that is definitely unfair to the Bengals if they had finished that game and the Bengals had won, it just fell through the cracks. And and you know and yeah. and this this shows you where lobbying can be effective or ineffective, and all these backroom stuff that went on somehow some way. In the effort to account for the AFC championship and the Wild Card round, they forgot about the division round. And there's going to be an unfair outcome to the Bengals if they have to go to Buffalo when they were leading that game and through no fault of their own. It's no fault of anyone. Something horrible happened. And I understand that. But the Bengals have been upset for a week now. And they're going to be upset all week going into that divisional round game once they realize we kind of got the short end of this one, too.
0: I can't argue with you, Mike, and uh, I, you had the exact right phrase. It fell through the cracks. There definitely should have been a, uh, a coin flip for this game. If you're going to have a coin flip potentially for Ravens-Bengals, you should have a coin flip for Bills-Bengals.
1: Or a neutral site. Not neither. One or the other. So the whole thing makes no sense. Here's something, Peter. That we don't have a lot of time to delve into today, but we talked about it during a break. When I heard Atlanta, it just made me think the NFL is going to use this as an experiment to see how it looks, how it feels. Could we have more conference championship games on the road? You split the tickets down the middle. It's going to look like and feel like one of these big college games, neutral site where half the crowd is in bills gear and half the crowd is in chiefs gear. Not like at a Super Bowl, It's more of a country club crowd, right? Because it's so expensive to get in. You're buying these tickets on the secondary market with these gigantic travel packages that most people can't afford for a game like this. It really could have a special kind of a vibe to it that we won't appreciate until it happens. You have to wonder whether the NFL pushes the door a little bit farther open and considers neutral site conference championship games and all the money that could go along with it. I wonder if back in 1965,
0: when the NFL and the upstart AFL were starting to have conversations about playing a championship game, between the NFL champion and the AFL champion every year. I wonder if there was a discussion to either alternate home sites or to give home site to the team with the best record or the best winning percentage in that year. I don't know the answer to that, but it strikes me that that was the last time basically, you know, 58 years ago that there would have been any real discussion about playing a championship game at a neutral site. Okay, so the CFL does it with the Grey Cup, the NFL does it with the Super Bowl, but the NHL plays its Stanley Cup finals only at home venues. The NBA plays its championship series only at home venues. Uh, it, it's just, it's an interesting question as to whether the
1: NFL would ever seriously consider it. And it's more equitable than what the NFL used to do. One of the little-known postscripts to the Immaculate Reception game, the following week, the Steelers hosted the undefeated Dolphins in Pittsburgh in the conference championship game because it used to be a rotation and not a merit-based outcome. So if I'm the Dolphins, I'd rather played that game in a neutral site Then gone to Pittsburgh, but it worked out for Miami. Obviously, that was their undefeated season. Let's take a break. When we return, the show me something draft for the Super Wild Card round. More PFT live right after this.
0: Show me something, Daniel Jones. Back to throw. Don't for deep ball downfield. He's got Sterling Shepard at the 30. Touchdown, Giants! Show me something, Daniel Jones. Jones. Wide open is Bellinger. The rookie dies for the pylon. Touchdown, Giants! You know that we're going to have to have a show me something for Daniel Jones. Jones is going to run it again. Jones across the field. Makes a bad miss. Jones to for the 40 and then slides for safety. Show me something, Daniel Jones. Jones is going to just run. Jones to the 15. Jones to the 10. Jones to the 5. Jones in! Touchdown Giants! I'm just kidding. I cannot get fired up about Bears-Giants. Oh! Show me something, Daniel Jones. He's back to
1: throw. He looks Left, Rose, left, throws it for the touchdown. Boy, I thought there'd be more. That was plenty, though. A continuation of a trend. Show me something, Daniel Jones, who has a chance to show us something for the first time ever in the postseason, Peter. It's the Show Me Something draft. Super wild card round edition. You are up. Michael,
0: I have to give the masses what they want. Show me something, Daniel Jones. And I mean it, (laughs) show me something, Daniel Jones, but, but it's also show me something, Brian Dable, because Brian Dable last year, I wouldn't figure this out this week, last year in the last seven games of the season that he game planned for the Buffalo Bills, he, uh, orchestrated a game plan that, and obviously some of these are, uh, you know, some of these, uh, you know, are not design runs. But in the last seven games that Brian Dable coached him, Josh Allen rushed for 495 yards. And we talked earlier in the show about Daniel Jones only running and and running when chased out of the pocket in the first meeting. He only ran four times. This game, there's got to be six, seven, eight design runs in the game plan for Daniel Jones in Minnesota. His legs are a big weapon against a team that traditionally has allowed quarterbacks to run on them and has not been a great run defense team anyway. So show me something, Daniel Jones. Show me those beautiful North
1: Carolina legs. Show me something, Geno Smith. He was sucker punched into oblivion by IKN and Polly back with the Jets. Eight years later, he emerges as the starter for the Seahawks. Everyone doubted the team. Everyone doubted him. It was great at first. It tailed off a little bit. He got it together. They got into the postseason. This is his opportunity against the best defense in football with no expectations. The 49ers are nearly double-digit favorites. Geno Smith who does not have a contract for 2023, has a chance to show everyone what he can do. As the teams that are sitting at home trying to put the pieces together of a lost season are making their lists as to who they're going to pursue, Geno Smith could push his name higher and higher up the stack by doing the unthinkable and going in to Santa Clara and somehow finding a way not just to win – but to keep it close and to move the ball effectively against that 49ers defense. So show me something, Geno Smith.
0: Show me something, Dak Prescott. Yes, everyone knows now we've we've, uh, shown you the stats, we've talked about it, that all these interceptions this year are not his fault. However, however, you can make whatever point you want to make about the 15 interceptions and all that. Uh, But I think that there's a lot of pressure on Dak Prescott Monday night. The reason there's pressure on Dak Prescott is he was paid like a championship quarterback. He has not played all in all as a championship quarterback this, uh, this season. He's coming off a terrible game at Washington last Sunday. And maybe you could say, okay, mentally the Cowboys weren't into it. The Cowboys will be into it Monday night. And with their 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 best offensive weapon, in my opinion, Tony Pollard banged up, and we don't know what we're going to see out of him. This puts the onus on Dak Prescott to win this game, a road playoff game, on Monday night as 40 million people in the United States watch this game. Show me something, Dak Prescott. Show me a huge playoff win for a franchise that needs it desperately
1: show me something trevor lawrence the guy who's most likely to become the franchise quarterback from the first round class of 2021 a guy who was inspired to buckle down and focus on his career after losing to the broncos in london we lost to that team with that quarterback where he is in his career that was the spark to turn trevor lawrence around and it worked they won the division one of the weakest in football but still they're in it they're at home against a team they beat 31-10, to 10, and they're underdogs. Trevor Lawrence, this is your chance. Show me something. We're going to show you a couple of commercials, and then we'll be back with our third round of the Show Me Something draft for Super Wild Card. Again, we we'll be right back. Show Me Something draft wild card round, Super Wild Card round. Get it right, Florio. Here we go, round three. Peter, you're up.
0: Show me something, J.K. Dobbins. The Ravens rested their top running back last week in the season finale at Cincinnati. They wanted him fresh for a playoff game. They've got him fresh for a playoff game. He needs to give them 23 profitable 4.5 yards a touch carries this weekend. Show me something, J.K. Dobbins.
1: All right, you knew this one was coming. We alluded to it earlier, but I have selfish reasons to say show me something, Kirk Cousins. Here's why. I'm going to be in studio on Sunday. I'm going to be in the viewing room during that game. We're going to be out on the studio set as that game ends. And I don't want to hear that giant-headed Chris Sims taunting me constantly about, you're it a Kirk Cousins. You don't like it a Kirk Cousins. It's nonstop, especially because he's a Giants fan. It's going to be relentless. So, Kirk... Do me a a personal favor here. Go out and ball out just so I don't have to deal with Sims for three hours on Sunday. Please. That's it for today. Enjoy the game. See you Monday.
0: Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy sandwich. But you're the Filet-O-Fish sandwich all day.